I'm sitting it all along. Yeah. What it is is what it is. Hit tonight. Hit just a few seconds if you can wait because I can't. What it is. What it is. What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 185 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. I'm Kenny Keith, and I am joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Ben? What's going on, brother? This uh, is part-time business these days, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I think our listeners are like, oh, man, I thought these guys were some blue-collar podcasters. Eh, we need some time off every uh, now and again. You know, we do fit at the very end of the millennial spectrum. Right. You know what I mean? But I guess in that case, we would figure out a way to carpool. You know? <laughs> I don't claim nothing millennial, son. <laughs> uh, you're, you're younger than I am. You're actually closer to being a millennial than uh, than I am, Ben. Uh, yeah, I believe I fall directly on the cutoff, don't I? Uh, either way, we're both on the spectrum. Yeah. All right, so welcome to episode 185 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. We appreciate all of you tuning in and being patient as Vin and I wade through the trials and tribulations of life. Life, baby. <laughs> life, indeed. Uh, we got the Anthony Joshua versus Carlos Cam post-fight. We got a fight preview. Deontay Wilder defends his WBC heavyweight championship against Berman Stavern. Some news from uh, the World Boxing Super Series. And some more fight previews, man. Um, some little gems tucked in here and there and some news and notes. It's a you know, nice finish to the year for boxing here for what's been a good 2017. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, look, I would say that um, that our performance here in 2017 on the tail of the tape boxing podcast sort of mirrors 2017. Right. We had a great first three quarters. <laughs> right. And then this last quarter. Well, you know, it's busy. But um, just doesn't have the same buzz. Yes, it's not not quite there, is it? No, no. But we still have a lot to talk about, and we'll try to close strong for all of you in 2017. Be sure to drop by theboxingrant.com today. Check out the latest episodes of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play. All right, Vin, it's episode 185. Let's head to Cardiff, Wales. The action this past Saturday night on Showtime. It was Anthony Joshua defending his unified IBF and WBA heavyweight championship against uh, last-minute fill-in fighter Carlos Cam. Then I got to give Cam some credit. I mean, stepping in on two weeks' notice, going against the biggest monster in the heavyweight division, he looked ready to go. Like, they had him in, in pocket the entire time, making sure that he was prepared to step in for this fight. I mean, come on, we were talking about... Kubrat Pulev. Yeah, and didn't he kind of say before that fight was announced, Pulev, uh, w before the fight was initially announced, yeah, I'm going to need like an extra few weeks, uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> two more months before I'm ready for this fight. And sure enough, he wasn't ready. Oh, I'm injured. Yeah, shoulder injury, last second. Upper, I'm upper body. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but hey, they, they had, uh, is it Takam or Takam? Because once again, the fighter's name seemed to change. It's like, wait, wait a second. It's Tackham now? Honestly, man, I think it is uh, um, a piss-poor attempt at trying to replicate what Takam sounds like when you pronounce it in an English accent. <laughs> right. They're surrounded by all the European colleagues leading into the fight, you know, the, uh, the conference calls, all the, all the pre-fight interviews, and it's like, Carlos Takam, <laughs> from wherever he is from, Carlos Takam. Yeah, I mean, look, Anthony Joshua was going to do what he was going to do, regardless if it was Kubrat Pulev or Takam. Looking at this thing in hindsight, I think Pulev probably would have been the more exciting finish yeah. for fans. Yeah. Um, most notably because Pulev has the most ridiculous style in the world and leaves himself wide open for monster shots. Takam, on the other hand, uh, provided a much more complex puzzle for the larger Anthony Joshua. Yeah, I mean, he obviously, look, he came to the ring to survive. I mean, he wasn't, you know, the chances of him being able to land a shot, just way too small of a fighter, punching way too much uphill. And, you know, J Joshua could keep him at a distance. And, I, you know, was it a great performance from Joshua? Nah, not really, no. But it was, uh, you know, did he do his job? Yeah, was the stoppage terrible? 
Absolutely. Oh, dude, it was horrible. I mean, does it really matter in the long run? No. No, it doesn't, because the fight was, was going to be 11 rounds to one anyways. But what you do do is you put a knockout on one guy's record, and you keep a knockout streak going on another record. That it, you know, I, I look, it, it is what it is. I'm not going to sit here and act like it pissed me off, but it, it, it's kind of a fucking, you know, come on. Let, let's be fair to Takam here. He was making a good showing for himself to to take the guy out with, you know, what, seven minutes left in the fight, basically. Let him finish it, man. Come on. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, you know, Takam was visibly bothered by the cuts that he sustained early on from the headbutts. You know what I mean? Oh, he was pawing, boy. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And the doctor was looking at him vehemently. Now, was it to, you know, conspiracy theory, you know, would say that, oh, yeah, the entire time that doctor was looking at Takam to try to ensure that this thing did not go the distance so right. we could guarantee an Anthony Joshua knockout. Um, no, I, I just thought that Carlos Takam fought valiantly. And let's be honest, if, we're, if, if, all, if all things are fair in love and war, and let's be honest, they're much more fair in love and war than they are in, in professional boxing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it kind of makes perfect sense the way that this thing went. But truth be told, if we're, if we're grading on the same curve and on the same standard, then the referee jumps in and stops the Klitschko versus Joshua fight because Joshua was fucking drunk on his legs for four rounds. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Very fair comparison. Yes, it could have been stopped at any point. And, and it wasn't. No. And it wasn't. Um, look, Takam did his job. Uh, I think Doug Fisher said it best from, uh, from Ring Magazine, saying that, you know, Takam is, 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 is almost like that little bit of a step above the gatekeeper because he still falls in the bottom, say, like, ranked 8, 9, or 10 in the heavyweight division overall. Mm -hmm. But he's a guy that's going to get everybody a test. And let's be honest, Anthony Joshua has had not passed many tests. Yes, did he pass the ultimate test? No doubt about it. But he has not been challenged in his career um, in the way that many heavyweights have to be or many fighters in today's era. These guys, like, you know, when we had the bread man on, uh, Stephen Edwards, Onto the show, he talks about how today's fighters leapfrog stages in the progression right. that fighters before them would have to go through to, uh, you know, put that notch on the belt, add that layer of diversity into what they can do in their attacking style. Look, Joseph Parker went through Carlos to Cam, mm -hmm. okay, and and it was a learning experience, tough fight, very close fight, very close fight. Anthony Joshua had a competitive fight with Takam. Yes, you're exactly right. It was probably ten to eleven one. Mm -hmm. Um, regardless of the fact Anthony Joshua retains his IBF and WBA heavyweight championship belts. And then, you know, the, the talk has kind of steered towards, I guess, because of the lack of interest in what is really going on right now in the career, whether it's his fault or not, of Deontay Wilders. Wilder has tried to keep his name in the ring before we get to the fight preview for this weekend's WBC heavyweight championship. But Wilder has tried to, you know, like is has always been done in the history of boxing. I mean, you can go on rants and rave about, oh, oh, tweet, 140 characters. I can tell you how profoundly Deontay Wilder is attaching his name to Anthony Joshua's success. Right. But the truth is, this has been going on since the beginning of time. Oh, yeah. And to be honest, considering the fact that Deontay Wilder doesn't have a fucking promoter, you know, and his career has been promoted horribly, because of the absence of a promoter, I got to say this is one of the very few good decisions from the Deontay Wilder camp to attach their names to the rising superstardom of Anthony Joshua. Yeah, I mean, look, you got a guy that's uh, putting 70,000 butts in the seats this past weekend. Coming... Against nobody, really. I yeah, mean, against, a, against... a respected fighter, but nobody knows him. No, and you got Wilder this, this coming Saturday going to have maybe, I don't know, maybe 10,000 seven or eight of which will have paid for their tickets. I mean, there's a huge, huge disparity in, in level of stardom between these two guys. I mean, to me, after this weekend, uh, I think Anthony Joshua has cemented himself as the guy in boxing. I don't want to say the future, but he is the biggest draw in the sport of boxing period. Disregard, you know, the numbers that Showtime, the Showtime viewership numbers were like 335,000. But you also got to remember it's 5 p.m. on a Saturday. Not too many people are, you know, that's people are out and about doing shit. Oh, I was at the pumpkin patch with my son. Exactly. You know what I mean? Half the country was probably doing that in a fucking 
corn maze or a pumpkin patch. Yeah, you're exactly right. So, I, you know, I don't lend too much credence to those numbers. But it's, it's, it's clear right now that, you know, and, and to me, you, you, Dillian White fought this past weekend. To, um, oh, did he? Yes. Oh, yeah, he did. He bored everybody to death against uh, Hellenius in, in the co-main for the for the uh, Wilder fight, or the Joshua fight. You're telling me, you know, people want to see uh, uh, White's offering Wilder $4 million to come to the U.K. and fight. Well, let's be clear. Eddie Hearn is. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Matchroom and Eddie Hearn are. But does anybody really want to see that? I mean, Dillian White looked like absolute garbage. On Saturday. I'd rather see that than Berman Stavern. Well, guess what? Dillian White is Berman Stavern. In my eyes, they're the same fucking guy. But this goes to the other side of the story on how pissed poorly Deontay Wilder's been promoted. Yeah. Oh, how yeah. much money is he making to face Ber- Berman Stavern? I can't it- imagine more than 1.5. Okay. Let's give him some credit. Let's say it's two. Right. Right? You're being offered double that. Against a guy that you and I and many others perceive to be no different than Berman Stavern. Oh, yeah. The only difference is is that Dillian White's been to a few less McDonald's. You know what I mean? He, he's ordered a few less super big gulps at 7-Eleven. That's yeah. the difference between these two. Yeah. And one's a fucking Southpaw. Yeah. That's it. Well, and one's promoted by Don King. But <laughs> <laughs> that's neither here nor there these days. You know what I mean? Dude, you're exactly right in everything that you're saying about this. I just don't understand from a business perspective, even from a guy that has taken the path of least resistance or, as others would say, and I think there's much truth to this, and there's actually cold hard facts, is that he has, in a, in a way, attempted to take a more resistant path because I think a lot of the frustration and animosity that comes out of Deontay Wilder's mouth is because he's not as big of a star as Anthony Joshua. And it's, be, it's because the way and the direction that he has been advised. But I'm telling you right now, even fucking Al Heyman isn't dumb enough to say, yeah, take $2 million against Berman Stavern instead of $4 million against Dillian White. But here's the crazy part. The Dillian White thing had nothing to do with the Berman Stavern fight even happening. Right. It's still on the table for his next fight. Yeah, I, I, you know, you would think, why don't you go over there and make a little money and build up this pending Joshua Wilder fight, which, you know, I... To me, at this point, he could also be using White. You know, he's he's acting like uh, Eddie Hearn and Matchroom are disrespecting him Ooh. by not offering him the the grand prize, Anthony Joshua. I mean, to me, it's it it almost seems like he's he's using that as like, see, they're trying to look at him trying to fucking avoid me. They're offering me the fucking scraps because they don't want me to get at their boy because they know what's going to happen. I, I see that angle. Yeah, I mean. You can use that all you want. That's a that's a crock of shit. There ain't no. You can't tell me there's any fucking chance in hell that Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua have the least bit of fear in facing Deontay Wilder, especially when you hold the cards. You can stack the deck in your favor. You can make him bow down to your demands. And is Wilder going to be willing to swallow his fucking pride? I don't know. I don't think he will. I mean. You're, you're talking about you're basically telling a guy that's heavyweight champion of the world and views himself in a much higher status than everybody else does. No, son. Yeah, you have that's that's a cute little green belt you have there, but we're the man. And if you want a piece of this, you are going to act as if you are Dominic Brazil, whoever the fuck you know, Gerald Washington. Yeah, you're going. You're just you're going to have to eat it. And to me. I guess you can say Lou DeBella and Deontay Wilder are not going to do that. And they're, they'll use that to me. You know, I want to see this fight fucking happen. And I keep hearing about the white fight and Joshua fighting Parker first and this and that. To me, it's like, what's the fucking point? Can we just make this fight now? There's, you know, letting this thing build up is not going to attract any more American audience to the fight. What's here now will be there a year and a half from now when the fight happens or a year from now when the fight happens. There's not going to be some scenario where you're going to get a million more viewers from the United States because you let this thing brew and because fucking Anthony Joshua beat Dillian White and, and or I'm sorry, uh, Wilder beats Dillian White and Anthony Joshua beats Joseph Parker. That doesn't make Wilder Joshua any bigger. Do it now. You're risking way too much 
letting Deontay Wilder fight B- Berman Stavern this weekend. Because I'm sorry, did he dominate him? First fight? Yes. That was when Deontay Wilder was active. Was To, to me, at that point in his career, he was, he was improving with every fight. What I've seen in the last two years since then is a Deontay Wilder that has slowly regressed and become sloppier than what he was. Think about that performance against Stavern. He boxed. He used his jab. He fought 12 really good rounds. You actually walked away from that fight, and you went, man, Wilder's actually not that bad. He keeps working on it, keeps you know, keeps putting together, working the gym and, and, and honing his craft. He might actually be decent, but he has gotten worse, clearly worse since that fight. That's because his opponents have gotten worse. Yeah. You know? And He's been injured. Long layoffs in between fights. It's the worst possible thing for him. The worst thing for a natural athlete who goes in and dominates on 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 pure skill and then is forced to, you know, sort of adjust mm-hmm. and is forced to have to hone this into something is going back to poor opposition. It is absolutely absolutely the worst thing because a guy who's fighting purely off of instinct in the in the Stavern fight he had to fight a certain way to win that fight. He knew he was going to win these other fights no matter what. So he came out and was haphazard trying to put on a show. His version of putting on a show, I, I don't know, man. It's like somebody on stilts tap dancing. I mean, I mean, Go to your local fucking putt-putt and, and putt through the windmill. That's what you're looking <laughs> at his punches are. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it has gotten worse. He's battled injuries. We don't know if, if look, if, if, if Berman Stavern has been back hanging out at, uh, at the strip club, thankfully this fight is on the East Coast. Right. But I'm sure I'm sure uh Floyd's got him hooked up with uh you know the local favorites. <laughs> right. You know, in the New York area. Look, if Stavern keeps up the status quo, maybe his beard survives like it did last time, you know, maybe he's able to go to the distance. I don't know. I don't know how good that is for the hands of Deontay Wilder. The repeated broken hands. That's the big risk, right? Surgery after surgery. So now you're going in the ring against a guy who's like punching a brick wall. As sloppy and slow and careless and non-committed and out of shape as Berman Stavern can be, if his beard holds up, this could be another broken hand for Deontay Wilder. Well, and the the way we've seen him kind of unload these, he gets a fighter in trouble now and just throws the sloppiest, uh, most unorthodox punches. That is how you break your hand, by landing some punch that isn't, you would never be taught to. It's like a fucking, you're watching something on World Star Hip Hop, a street fight. Some motherfucker throwing some windmill punch from five feet away from his opponent. It's just, dude, you're going to break your hand again if you keep punching like that. Yeah, I mean, what are the chances that somebody who punches so wildly and recklessly, yeah, he punches wild and reckless, but his hand, his fist position on contact is pinpoint. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I don't think so either. Um, so that gets us to this fight. All right, we've given you the uh, surrounding sort of premise as we right. transition from Joshua and Takam to this Wilder versus Tavern rematch. This can only spell disaster for Wilder. I mean, even him looking good against a guy that gives no fucks about boxing. I mean, this is like Gary, like Berman Stavern's like Gary Russell. You know what I mean? Right. If he had an eating disorder. Yeah. Like somebody just don't give a fuck. The fact that he is able to remain in that position, and I get it. He's got Don King with him. So he obviously he's got some ties to the WBC. Right. But I mean, even still, the guy has fought once. He's fought once and he looked like absolute dog shit. Hey, man. Suleiman and and Don King are going to be vacationing in the Cayman Islands until Don King yeah, dies. One or, one or the other's got some incriminating evidence on the other in a strip club somewhere in Colombia wherever from uh, back in the day, man. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see that 30 for 30. <laughs> um, all right, so Deontay Wilder versus Berman Stavern. Give me your breakdown. How does this go? Uh, I I just can't see it being as good as the first fight. And I wonder, you know, say what you want about Berman Stavern. He does have a fucking chin. He's got a beard. If this guy comes into the ring and we heard what what it was in the first fight, dehydrated, uh, rumors of hanging out at strip clubs with Floyd Mayweather and and, and the team TMT. They don't serve waters at the girl collection. No, they don't. You either drink it or you get out. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, you know, if this guy comes in in any semblance of shape, whether he's been active or not, he can give Wilder trouble. Wilder hasn't been active. He hasn't looked good. I'm going to say every fight that he's won by knockout in the last two years, he's been losing. <laughs> not on the real scorecards, but in everybody else who's watching the fight realizes, yeah, Wilder's won like fucking, he's down like 5-2 in the seventh round. When he knocked out Spilka, I'm thinking, dude, Spilka's up at least a round. He's up at least, yeah, shit, two rounds. <laughs> he was a couple rounds away, when, uh, a round or two away from getting it in the bag in the, on, on the scorecards. Now, he wouldn't have, but you can't. Molina buzzed him. Yes. If Berman Stavern comes into this fight and just puts forth some fucking effort and, and trained halfway hard, he could give Wilder trouble, but he won't because he probably didn't. He's cashing a check. He's on his way out of the sport. He doesn't give a fuck. To me, this fight's going to look like, I hate to say it, to be a fucking party pooper here, but it's going to be some. this fight is going to look like dog shit. Mm. It's going to look like dog shit, and Wilder will win a decision. I don't. He can't stop. I don't think he can stop him. If you didn't stop him before, when he was dehydrated and a complete mess, ended up in the hospital after the fight, unless he's in worse shape now, I don't see how it's possible. If uh, if Deontay F- Wilder was fighting Luis Ortiz right now, there'd be a lot more interest in this fight. Oh, I'd be fucking amped for this fight. You know why? Because at least Luis Ortiz would be the new WBC heavyweight <laughs> champion. Well, conveniently, conveniently. Them BP meds will get you. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. Um, all right, so I'm going to pick Deontay Wilder, uh, a distance, ugly-ass decision that – Maybe was a little closer than it should have been, right. but Wilder to get the benefit of the doubt. As long as long as he's not injured, you know, that's the only thing that I could see. But, you know, something we haven't seen from Wilder is a lower body injury. You, you know, you'd think at some point, like, somebody would step on his foot and, like, he'd twist an ankle. <laughs> and if that lower body goes on him, I mean, God, at least if one hand breaks, you got another one. How about if you just throw a punch to the hip on him? I mean, that, that, that can't do very well for him. I mean, his hips are like the size of my biceps. You know, that's the whole point. Like, all joking aside, like, you know, my biggest issue with Deontay Wilder in the grand scheme of things and, like, the long-term vision of the heavyweight division is that I don't think he has the, you know, the staying ability. He may get that fight against Joshua. It may be a decent fight. He may get two fights against Joshua. I don't know. I honestly and truthfully, and I've said it before, I haven't quantified it yet, but the truth is I don't think Deontay Wilder's career lasts another three or four years. I think they have to fit this in and get these paydays as fast as possible. If he comes out uninjured against Berman Stavern, which hopefully he does for for everybody, because Deontay Wilder is definitely somebody you want to watch. Right. Whether people tune in or not, that's his fucking promoter's problem. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But if he comes out unscathed, if I'm his promoter, and I'm thinking about the fact that, okay, this guy's only got three, four good years before these hand injuries completely destroy his career. I take, I win this fight, take my $2 million purse. Take the Dillian White fight as soon as possible if you come out uninjured. You know, they're offering you four, say I'll do it for five, okay? Yeah. Take the five and then get your 20 against Anthony Joshua. And win, lose, or draw, you're set for life, my friend. Yeah, and I, look, I keep hearing people talking about, you know, let that fight, let that fight marinate, let it cut, you know, 2019. Too injury prone, Ben. Nah, you cannot do it. It's And it doesn't. Joshua's peaked. He's not going to, I mean, what are you going to fucking, where are you going to put more people in a stadium and get more buzz behind him in the UK? He is not going to peak at any higher than he is right now, nor is Deontay Wilder. He will never be anything more than he is right now. Make the fight fucking happen. There's no, absolutely no reason for interim fights for either one of them. Both of, (laughs) and I'll be honest, you know, as, as much as I've, you know, kind of shit on what Deontay Wilder has become in the last two years as a fighter, he also still has the number one eraser in the sport of boxing in his right hand. I, I give after watching Joshua this weekend, I still give him a very fair chance to land a big right hand and hurt Anthony Joshua, and we've seen it happen. Uh, yeah, Klitschko's got a big right hand. Wilder does too, just as big, if not bigger. So, you know, and 10 years younger. Yes. Make the fight happen now. These guys could fight two or three times, honestly. And what the fuck other, you know, Joseph Parker has looked like complete dog shit in his <laughs> last two fights. Well, look who he's been hanging out with. And he, after the fight, he's fucking, he's doing uh, the, the haka dance wasted with 
Tyson Fury in a hotel room, and they're hanging out for God knows how long, drinking I don't know how much. And snorting I don't know what. <laughs> right. So who knows how serious he's taking his career anymore. Let's get it done now. Joshua Wilder, 2018, please. Ben's going to have his posters made. He's going to be out on the street corner. Jo- Joshua Wilder in 2018. Yeah, and people will be like, who the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know that guy, he's in an Under Armour store. He has a banner in an Under Armour store, Anthony Joshua. Yeah, him. I guarantee you four or five people that drive by and see you holding that sign will actually do write-in votes on their fucking local <laughs> <Right>. election ballots. <laughs> oh, geez. All right, moving on, Ben. Um, we got to get to this undercard real quick. I mean, I don't think we have to. Nobody's forcing us. We'll touch on it. (laughs) Yeah, we'll touch on it. All right. Um, (laughs) Sean Porter versus Adrian Granados in a WBC welterweight eliminator squaring off in the co-feature. You looking forward to this one, Ben? Uh, It should be. uh, It'll be the best fight of the night. I I don't know. You know, I don't know what to expect. I'm kind of this matchup leads me to believe that you're going to see some clashing of heads and a lot of clinching. It's two guys that like to come forward. Porter's going to be the way more physically bigger guy in this fight. You got Granados coming up and wait. You know, Granados will always and always has made a good showing in any fight against any level of fighter. And I think he'll be able to hang with Porter for a little bit. But physically in this fight, eventually Porter, the, the, the physicality of Porter is going to break him down. At what point does Sean Porter leave the good graces of boxing fans for being a good guy? And people start labeling him as a gatekeeper, Vin. He's well, he's probably gonna work himself up to one more shot against Keith Thurman. But yeah, I, you know, I hate to say it, but I kinda almost in the back of my mind, I kinda label him as that now. Yeah. He he's shown what he what he can do against the best and, and who he can beat. Yeah. I mean the best fight I can think of moving forward with for him, he's not gonna beat Thurman in a rematch. I'm sorry. I just don't see it. Probably doesn't beat Danny Garcia. Uh, yeah, but that's the one fight I can see, you know. The one big fight left in his career that he may have a, a shot at winning. But anybody else that, that holds a belt at welterweight, he, he's not going to be able to beat him. I'm the sorry. Garcias don't want any part of that fight, though, because no. Sean Porter spells headaches for anybody that's trying to. It's one thing to use, like, okay, if I beat Sean Porter, I stepping stone to the next level. Okay, fine. But for a guy like Danny Garcia, it's almost like, okay, I'm trying to rehabilitate my image in the ring. Or maybe he's not. He doesn't seem too interested in boxing anyways. No. But if he was, this would be the last guy I want to rehab against. If Al Heyman's putting Carl Frampton and James the Gale in, in uh, you know, Frank Warren's pocket for rehab fights, <laughs> right. you know, why you know why would Danny Garcia take Sean Porter? You're like, I'll sign with Frank Warren. <laughs> <laughs> He'll serve me up JoJo Dan, son. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, I'm not looking forward to this fight. I don't care about this fight. This fight doesn't lead anywhere. It leads for another opponent. And I should say probably another pit stop and maybe even a roadblock to the fights we really want to see at 147 pounds. Because anybody in the top right now who's fighting against Sean Porter is basically taking a tough fight to appease the public, right? but kind of putting the halts on having to take on any real threats. <clears throat> Errol Spence. Yeah. Oh, don't forget about the Hornet. Jeff Ward, oh, son. Oh, oh. <laughs> I think old Bud Crawford's got got uh, dibs on that one. Yeah, you think? Yeah. <laughs> funny how that worked out, huh? You know what I thought was really funny was the announcement after they said that Bud Crawford was going to be fighting Jeff Horn as long as he wins the next fight early in 2018. Mm-hmm. was a comment from uh, from Crawford's camp saying that Crawford will at least fight once in 2018. Oh, really? Well, thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> well, that ESPN deal, man, huh? More active? I don't get it, dude. Oh, man. I don't get it. All right. So, um, you know, an up-and-coming name and exciting fighter, Sergey Lipinets, squares off against Akihiro Kondo um, for the vacant IBF junior welterweight title, one of the belts that Bud Crawford has vacated as he moves up to 147 pounds. What do you think about this fight, man? I mean, I think that you have to think that a guy named Akihiro Kondo is going to have a little warrior spirit to him. Well, yeah, I mean, any as goes with any Asian fighter, they're fucking tough as nails. I mean, you're not going to just get them out of there easily, and, I, and I'm sure he'll hang tough. But Lipinets is a, is a tough-ass fighter himself and a damn good one, and he fights. 
I don't he's he's almost uh I don't I don't know what you want to label it as a fighter, but he just he he comes at you, he throws big shots. He's not in there playing games. He's not in there to to box your ears off. He's in there to get you out of there. And he's actually, you know, Crawford you just talked about Crawford moving up. That would have been the one fight at 140 pounds that I would have liked to have seen Terrence Crawford take. You know, you unified the division, you unified all the belts. But does it really matter when you just drop them all right away when you win them? I mean, I get it. it's a hell of an achievement, not taking anything away from it. But, you know, shouldn't you defend a couple times at least? Yeah, I agree. And Lippinets was a threat. Trust me. And trust and believe he is a threat to anybody at 140 pounds. And probably right now, if you were going to rank every 140-pound fighter, I'd be hard-pressed to rank anybody above him. That You know, all the belts are vacant. I would put him as the best in the world right now. And he's hardly fucking known by anybody. I think that this fight can go a long way. I know you said that, the, you know, the Porter Granados might be the most even matchup, mm-hmm. and it might may provide the, the best back and forth. Right. Could go the distance if Granados moves up well in weight. I think that this fight, for as long as it lasts, could be really exciting. I think this oh, is, yeah. a, you know, the kind of opponent that a guy like Lippinets, um, you know, needs. You know, styles make fights. You want to make a statement. Um, you know, you want to lift this vacant belt. Then go in there. I think this is going to be tough. I think this fight is going to be fast, and I think it's going to be pretty hellacious. But I'm going to pray. There's no need to make a prediction, like an actual round prediction for Porter versus Granados. Right. Because it's going to be tedious whether it's three rounds or ten. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Give me Lippinets in a fast and furious, exciting fight by way of six-round knockout. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm right with you. I think he finishes it in the first, somewhere in the first half of the fight. All right. So, uh, okay, back to some post-fight. All right, as we wanted to tie the heavyweight contests from uh, last week to the preview to this week as mm-hmm. Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder seem to be on some sort of a collision course. Um, we take you to the World Boxing Super Series. This past weekend, um, Jurgen Brommer squared off against Rob Brandt for the right to fight Callum Smith in the semifinal of the 168-pound tournament. Then, yeah, how'd Rob Brandt look? <laughs> uh he looked like i lost 150 dollars. that's how he looked I'm, I'm i'm 150 lighter in the pocket because rob brant looked like absolute shit i mean no for a kid that is on the grandest stage of his career and is getting a fight that he probably could never have imagined when he was fighting on bounce uh six months ago <laughs> in front of 28 people in some nondescript city nobody cares about the guy just fought with no he didn't no heart no no desire to win just kind of rolled with the punches and uh, the most blah performance and i'll I, I went into that fight with for all the wrong reasons <laughs> picking him betting on him i'm thinking you know I, I watched the weigh in i'm looking at pictures of the way the most amateur amateur shit in the fucking world as a better to look at especially if you're betting on boxing to look at a picture from the weigh-in and sit there and convince yourself that he's 39, he came down in weight, he looks like fucking dog shit on the scales, uh, put the house on Brant, and then on top of it, do what you never, ever do as a gambler, and any gambler can attest to this. You never throw your shit out there like, I got the sure money, baby, come, <laughs> come get it. This is easy money, jump on board. You, you just fucking, you cost, that's like, that's rule number fucking one in the book of don't piss the gambling gods off because they will fuck you if you do. Dude, it's it's literally like getting a blind date, right? Mm-hmm. And, and as soon as you score your blind date and the, the time and the place is set up, you just going out on Facebook, right, to all your friends and saying, I'm getting laid tonight. <laughs> <laughs> or sending her a dick pic right away. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> it's just. It's just amateur hour. Fuck it. And, dude, I felt bad because two or three people, like I sent out the tweet, they're like, two or three people are like, oh, Vin, I'm glad you fucking reminded me. I want to bet on that, too. A couple people bet 100 bucks. I'm just out here costing people fucking paychecks, buddy. That's all right, man. We've made sacrifices to bring this show to the masses. (laughs) You owed me. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, we didn't beg for your money on Patreon. Right. But instead, we're going to bring you down with us. Uh, I'll give you some bad picks. Oh, man. Hey. Little, little do they know I'm tied in with uh, Bet Online and BetUS and all those 
sites. I get I get a little little cut. Thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, notice I didn't step in and say, Vin, what are you doing? <laughs> right. I was gonna let you ride with it. I, you know, I was like, hey, maybe Vin is on like a five or six game heater. Maybe he hit like a five team money line NBA parlay the night before or something. No, the funny part was is I had been on a heater for like two weeks. Not, not a big heater, but I had been gambling and winning, losing some, but winning more than losing. I had a rough weekend the week before, the weekend before that, down to my last couple hundred dollars in the account. Yeah, why not put it on Rob Brandt, dickhead? Yeah, good good fucking bet. Solid logic behind that one. <laughs> then you get an email the next morning in your inbox that says, be back in the game today with <laughs> betonline.com. Right. Deposit another $200, and we'll give you a 25% bonus. Promo code Rob Brandt gets you an extra $100. <laughs> Promo code, we're going to rob you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so Brommer moves on. Um, a nondescript fight. Rob Brandt was not uh, in attendance. Um, Clearly not ready. The 39-year-old steps into the ring with a guy that you and I have touted uh, pretty highly in Callum Smith. Um, I guess it's worth something, maybe a bit of overhype, being the best of the fighting Smiths. Yeah. But, you know, the last, I don't know, five years of boxing, I don't really know what that means anymore, (laughs) to be the best of the fighting Smiths. It means pretty much nothing. I think it's, you know, Callum Smith has a lot going for him. I mean, it's not just youth in this fight. Um, the size advantage is going to be monstrous, monstrous. You know, Jurgen Brommer's not a small guy at 168 pounds, but you know, let's not pretend that that Brommer has you know anything other than he's know, a KG veteran that's going to give him yeah. trouble for as long as he can. If if he can make the fight go the, go the distance, it could possibly be interesting if he can sort of make Callum Smith feel awkward in the process. But I see um, Callum Smith bringing Jurgen Brommer to the promised land on this fight, man. You think so? Yeah, I do. I think it's going to be tougher than he thinks it's, it's going to be. It's going to be a body shot. You think so? Yeah, it's going to be a body shot. Well, I mean, if you go on my uh, flawless logic that he's going to look like shit at the weigh-in, yeah, you probably, <laughs> you probably <laughs> would pick him for body shot knockout. Let's just pray we get the all-UK finish. Um, Eubank or Groves right. versus Callum Smith. Yes. I think Groves beats Eubank. But I think Eubank versus Callum Smith would be a much better story. Did you see who the betting favorite is? Eubank Jr. minus 180? 145, 150. Okay, so I'm not too far off. Right. But I just thought that was – I look, pulled up them odds, and I'm going, damn. If the fight goes the distance, Eubank's going to win it. Yeah, he's just too active. Way too active. And we've seen what happens to Groves around the ninth round. Yeah. You know? Shit, look, around the sixth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, Groves – put on a heck of a fight against Badu Jack. Most people felt that Groves was going to carry the day. Right. And then Groves turned Groves. It was a much of a, you know, is is a big improvement from previous fights with his propensity to just fucking gas out. Right. You know, let me change five promoters. That'll help my endurance. <laughs> five promoters, two trainers. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, no, no. I think once you, uh, once that skin goes completely bloodshot in about the sixth round, you're a ticking time bomb. Um, look, Jurgen Brommer beat Rob Brandt. He's just an opponent for Callum Smith. Yeah, I, look, I, I think he'll give him a little trouble, but I think you're right. At the end of the day, Callum Smith wins that fight. All right, so we bounce from the post-fight back to some more previews. Uh, this Saturday on HBO from Monte Carlo, Dimitri Bivol versus Trent Broadhurst for the WBA light heavyweight title. It looks like HBO is taking some very interesting angles to fill time slots. Look, I love Dimitri Bivol. But this is a huge risk putting, I mean, you want to talk about Sergey Lipinets has at least been televised on Showtime repeatedly. Right. You know what I mean? He's a guy even coming up in this fast paced, you know, look, we, you know, we're not fucking taking any pit stops anywhere and we're just going for the tough fights, at least the fastest way to get a belt. Dimitri Bivol is a guy that I think most people consider to be, you know, you would have to say probably be, the future of 175 pounds with what's happened over the last couple of years with Kovalev, the injury history of Baturbiev. Um, I mean, let's be honest, uh, Elmas Talentoso isn't getting any younger. I no. think he's, what, 37 years old now? Still plenty game, but you're right. You know, a guy like Dmitry Bivol, I think, sits right there with the likes of Alexander Gavostich. I think that those are the two guys that are most primed. 
it, it is very convenient that both may possibly have the opportunity to fight each other one day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bivol and Gavozovic, those are the two most dangerous guys in the sport just because of the of the trend. Are they accelerating at super fucking sonic speed, t- you know, towards superstardom? No, absolutely not. But their trend is in a much different direction than the likes of Sergey Kovalev. Now, at this point in their career, being that the styles match up so nicely, right? Would Kovalev beat Bivol uh, and Gavozovic right now? I would say he'd be favored in both fights. Yeah. Okay. But here's the thing: Kovalev has a tough fight against Shabransky. Both Bivol and Gavozovic are making a name for themselves. HBO, I think, has completely jumped the gun on Bivol. But I guess at some point they had to put Gennady Golovkin on TV too, right? Oh, yeah. Look, and I think what HBO has clearly stated is we're in the light heavyweight division business still. Sure. Whether Ward's gone or not, we're we're still – they still back Kovlev. They probably still think he's got a little bit left to offer, and, and I do too. You know, whether – you say what you want about the Andre Ward fights on what, on what side you're on. Sergey Kovalev still has some to offer in the sport now. You know, is it only going to be for the next two, maybe three years? Probably. Yeah, but he will still provide entertaining fights and still holds a name in this country that when he fights, people will tune in because they know, Crusher, I'm going to get a guy who's going to bring it. You And you got these three young up-and-coming fighters. They're clearly, clearly in the light heavyweight business. You know, I. It's just the, it's just the fact that none of them have anything behind them None of them are going to bring any type of big viewing numbers to HBO. You're going to have a hard time selling. You know, you, you got a final four of Russian, Eastern European fighters that just, well, for whatever reason in this country, and I, I understand it, but people just don't really get behind them. They got behind Kovalev a little bit, but not that much. He's no. not a not a huge seller. I mean, he would do a million a million views on an HBO fight, but. He's not some superstar, and nor are any three of these guys. But I think what could happen is you put them all on TV. They all provide exciting knockouts. Maybe, just maybe, you get a little steamrolling behind it. And maybe HBO hopes that, uh, you know, the World Boxing Super Series comes around next year or, or the following year, and it's in the light heavyweight division, and they have a piece in airing that because there's still some really good matchups, and you, and you said it, Sullivan Barrera is still out there. There's plenty of light, good light heavyweights available that could make for a good tournament, whether they're you know looking into the future and envisioning that. I don't know, but clearly they want something to do with the light heavyweight division. And HBO, you know, they're not dummies. They know what they're doing. They've been in the boxing business for a long time. But I think you're right. They're jumping the gun a little bit on some of these guys. Well, and I think that, you know, the direction that 175 pounds takes – is really dependent on how long Sergey Kolev remains in the game, right? Because I think he's if, the piece. He's the he's the main piece on the board still. Yeah, no, yeah. There's no doubt about it. And if Kovalev ends up dispatching Shabransky, which I think he will, um, in a very exciting fight, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I think it's going to be a great fight. Yeah. But I think Kovalev pieces. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, pretty decisively. Um, if Kovalev says to them, "Listen, I only got two fights left," then you best believe that you're going to see a Kovalev versus Bivol unification very soon. Yeah, that will happen because they're going to either look. If Kovalev thinks he can beat Bivol, he can unify, retire as a two-time unified light heavyweight champion, mm-hmm. right? And 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 legitimately, because regardless of what happened against Andre Ward fight, let's look at this in reality. Most people thought he won the first fight. Yes, and the second fight resulted in a knockout after a series of some of the most egregious low blows in history. Now, did Andre Ward win the second fight? Yes. I give the benefit of the doubt to Sergey Kovalev for the first fight, right. like like many people do. I give the benefit of the doubt, yes, folks, I'm saying this, to Andre Ward for the second fight. Yeah, you got to. So to me, in in, in a fair playing field, that was one, one and one, mm-hmm. right? So the career of Sergey Kovalev could extend a little bit further, but I think you start to mention if he can go on a little run here, unify belts, have a couple more tough contests and dispatch of some of these young kids over the next year or two, it may not last long, like you said, maybe only three years. Mm-hmm. But I think it could be a nice resurgence for Kovalev. Bivol is going to destroy Trent Broadhurst. Oh, absolutely. This is going to be a massacre of a fight, regardless if November 4th and November 25th work out to be a unification fight in, say, you know, April, May, or June, 
That's fine. Yeah. Just keep on bringing them. Keep on bringing them. But Terbiev fighting on, I think he's fighting on ESPN, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you have the potential of Baturbiev versus Gavozdich. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's a lot of a, a lot of moving pieces at 175 pounds. And Adonis might want to get in there, right, Ken? No? He doesn't want any part of it? Um, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I completely blew that. I was reaching for the cricket sound effect, <laughs> but I couldn't find it on the fucking soundboard here anymore. Elder Alvarez and and, uh, and your boy. Come on. Oh, they it, want in. It was look like um, like two months ago. It was announced that finally it was going to happen. The WBC is going to mandate it, right? So you think a month goes by, everybody's waiting. Okay, the announcement. Yeah, it looks like Adonis going to fill his typical time slot. In in December somewhere, right? Yep. Nope. The announcement that came out when you thought the announcement of the fight was going to happen was, oh, it will happen in some time. We're, we're going to roll this one back. In 2018. <laughs> right. Donna Stevenson ain't fighting nobody. No, he isn't. Ain't fighting nobody. A duckness, keep on chickenson. <laughs> All right. Um, November 2nd, Thursday night. Um, two nights from tonight, Jesus Soto Carras versus Juan Carlos Abreu and a little bit of a, a bloodthirsty ghoul, this, you know, gratuitous. Very gratuitous. I'll give you that. Yeah. I uh, mean, this, I don't for nothing, but I'm sure there'll be a lot of blood. Look, you got the young kid and Ryan Garcia in the co-main event on this card. He's something else. He is fucking electric. I am putting him in the main event. Fuck Soto Carras. Look, I get it. The guy sells tickets on the West Coast. He does. He's got a kind of a, you know, a cult following, but he is done. He has done. nothing left to offer. And, you know, I'm, I, 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 I'm still holding back judgment on these the top rank and golden boy deals with ESPN. But I will say this like I've said it before. If this is what you got as your main event, you ain't much better than what the PBC offered, my friend. You're really not. I mean, let's cut through the bullshit. This this kind of has that – it just has a PBC feel to it with this matchup, and I'm sorry. If that's what you're going to offer, I don't fucking want it. Put that somewhere – put it lower on the card. That's not a main event, man. Soto Carras is not a main event no, fighter because, anymore. Not to interrupt you, but if it's going to be a developmental series, right. Ryan Garcia should be the headliner. Yes. He would be on Showbox, would he not? He would. And I'm sorry, this kid is something is going to be something special in this sport. And, yes, you are getting him on TV, and I get it. But you want to sell him as the main event because that's what this kid is going to be for 10 fucking years moving forward. He is going to be one of the most exciting fighters in the sport. So put him there now. Well, maybe the thought process is this, okay, is that jumping from the Belasco Theater onto ESPN or moving up the undercard from the sixth slot to the number two slot right? in a fight on a Thursday night from Tucson, Arizona, that'll do decent in the crowd. Oh, they'll, they'll pack the joint. You know what I mean? And maybe this is the fight where eyes of, you know, the, the, the watchers on ESPN too, um, you know, and fans of Jesus Soto Carras, maybe those kind of fans will become Ryan Garcia fans. Maybe this is the fight that Ryan Garcia goes from being, you know, playing second fiddle to an old man on ESPN2 to maybe he's headlining it next on ESPN2. Here's the thing in this generation that people completely lose fucking sight of. In the era, as you so duly noted and have, you know, sort of, you know, cast in bronze the statement of this is the era of the prospect champion. Yeah, the developmental champion. The developmental champion, exactly. Maybe they're just developing Ryan Garcia the way that it's supposed to be developed and not leapfrogging him into... Uh, a vacant belt against somebody that they know he's going to beat, right. which then translates into shit fights for the next five fights because he wasn't fucking ready yet. Yeah. You, you know, just giving the kid a belt when he's not ready ain't doing nothing. So there's both career. sides, but I see your point. Right. I totally see your point. Ryan Garcia is the future. Jesus Soto Carras is a gatekeeper of the past. Yeah. I mean, he's of, of fucking bygones. I mean, this guy is. I, it, Who I, would tune in, though, if Ryan Garcia was the headliner? Who honestly? I mean, you're, no, you're talking he, about probably half the audience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm wondering who's gonna t- who's gonna tune in with Soto Carras as the main event. I mean, aren't you gonna be watching 
dialed into Navy versus Temple instead? Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Navy minus eight and a half against sorry-ass Temple I'd, at Temple? I'd be more more dialed into Eastern Michigan versus Western Michigan. I, you know, mm. I, any, any directional Michigan. <laughs> Wednesday night whack. Right. You know what I mean? I always whack off on Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Mac-whack combo. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. I love it. Um, all right. So, look. Moral of the story is here, as Vince and I go super geeky and talking about Ryan Garcia, yeah, and getting emotional on the fact that Ryan Garcia is is batting, uh, you know, second in this ESPN two Golden Boy card. Moral of the story is fucking watch him, so you'll want to watch him even more because oh. this kid is dynamite. Dude. He is something special. All right, so uh, news and notes: Danny Jacobs versus Luis Arias. The this is probably the. 11th or 12th iteration of the Danny Jacobs uh, rehab story. He recovered from cancer like seven years ago, but HBO is going to make it seem like this is like his third or fourth recurrence of cancer ever since. Well, Showtime told the story before, Ken. Now now HBO needs to let Liv Schreiber put his tones on it and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, I'm, I'm telling you what, from what you were hearing, ticket sales, not doing well i mean you put him in the ring with luis arias he's a who's a look a respectable young up-and-coming fighter who's kind of taking a huge leap in competition and i'll say it right now i'm not going to make any predictions but he's going to do a lot better than people expect and you're not you know danny jacobs gained a lot of credit for what he did in that in that golovkin fight and a lot of that in my eyes was him doing better than anybody expected him to do and getting way more credit than he actually deserved. Yes, he did fine. Good, you know. I'm 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 happy for you. You made it the distance with Golovkin. But before that, there was nothing special from Danny Jacobs in any fight. And you know, you saw him as a very solid middleweight fighter. I feel like Arius is going to give him trouble. And on top of it, Mr. Eddie Hearn is going to be in for a rude awakening when he walks into the arena on Saturday night. And uh, there's like six, 7,000 people there, and you can hear a fucking pin drop. Oh, all the lights will be, like, shining on the upper deck, and Bob Arum's going to call Eddie on the bat phone, and he's going to be like, you should have listened to me. I-, I told you you have to paper the arena. And Eddie's going to be like, papering the arena? What is papering the arena? What is this? He thinks he could just play Sweet Caroline, and everybody's going to show up? Nah, it ain't. It ain't like that in the States, bro. No, especially with a guy like Danny Jacobs. No. Who has not had a legitimate promoter. If you're going to dip your heels into the fucking futile landscape of American boxing, you better be established over here, man. Mm-hmm. Look, and I know Eddie Hearn has the money to be able to, you know, sort of foot the bill, to build this match room um, sort of thing here in the United States. But here's the thing, though, man. When you have a card full of native, you know, uh, people from the United Kingdom, all right, everybody is a domestic UK fighter on a tiny island. Yeah. You know, that's what, how big is England? Like the size of Texas? A little bit bigger, yeah. You know what I mean? So that's the size of your country. You stack a card with the best from your country, local people are going to love that shit, especially if you have a big name headliner. Right. Here in the United States, the matchroom formula for the way that they build cards out, for the way that they stack cards, is actually way worse than a PBC card. Because if if PBC cards featuring all UK fighters with the same philosophy, same level of matchup, same level of mismatches happens over in the UK with UK names, I mean, dude, all the towns are fucking hours apart from each other. Right. So everybody knows each other. Everybody's seen them fight in their hometown, even if they're not from their hometown. That shit don't work in the United no. States. And I'm telling you right now, if you do not bring the mothership, the Titanic, Anthony Joshua, over here to the United States, your fighters, I don't care if they're from America or not, will not do shit. No. Because unless you have the relationships to make the matchups that require attention here in the United States, you're no different than, well, your, I guess your, your mistress, Al Heyman. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, look, it's going to take about a year or two of fights like he's going to get with Jacobs and Arias, and he's going to be on a fucking speedboat back over to the U.K. because 
there's way more money to be made there. And I, I wouldn't blame him. Oh, now Heyman will still steer uh, Danny Jacobs on a speedboat directly <laughs> towards Frank Warren. Right. For rehabilitation fights against TBAs. Oh, they're, they're plenty, a plenty. Even old Billy Joe Saunders has himself a real fight lined up. Can you believe it? Yeah. How about that? Mm. <laughs> Interesting. All right, so we'll keep our uh, eyes tuned as, uh, you know, next week, episode 186, we will be previewing Danny Jacobs versus uh, Luis Arias, a middleweight fight from the Nassau Coliseum. All right, November 25th, uh, 2017, MSG, HBO, Sergey Kovalev versus Vyacheslav Shabransky. We already talked about this, but this fight has been officially made for the vacant WBO light heavyweight title. And in my opinion, after the last two fights with Andre Ward, especially after the first fight and uh, probably having to get some testicles repaired after the second fight, <laughs> I think if there was a 175-pound fighter in the world that deserved an immediate shot at one of these vacant belts from Andre Ward retiring, it was fucking Sergey Kovalev. Yeah, he may be an asshole in the real world. He may be kind of a dick motherfucker, but he's uh, he's earned it. He's earned it. Um. Has Miguel Cotto at this point in his career have the equity to have a uh, a farewell fight at Madison Square Garden against Saddam Ali? I don't. It's a you know that's tough with him. It's a he's one of them fighters where it's like I, I don't have any ill will. Neither do I towards Cotto. I he fought the best, and when he fought the best, he went out and, and kind of went out on his shield and gave it gave it his all. But he's just <laughs> what what are you doing here, man? I mean, there are so many other options. Why can't you fight, dude? To me, the the fight to make was for both fighters was Miguel Cotto and Lucas Matisse. I don't know why that couldn't have been made. I I realize Matisse just came up to welterweight, but you can't tell me they can't find a way to make that fight at 152 pounds. At this point in time, it doesn't matter what it's for. They're both on their way out. There just there had to have been a way to. To me, it was it, 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 this fight becomes lazy. Like, oh well, you know. We wanted to get this fight in before the end of the year because Cotto said he's going to retire. We don't, we don't, we don't have anybody. Um, Salam Ali. <laughs> I mean, I nobody wants to see that fight. They're trying to get Cotto a knockout on his way out the door. I, yeah, I suppose. I mean, that's that's all fine and good. Not to say he hasn't earned it, but I'm not interested in it. Look, I have no interest in it either. But I do understand it from this perspective. Let's not forget that you know Madison Square Garden sort of went. I wouldn't say dormant but sort of off the radar as the mecca of boxing, mm -hmm. you know, in the wake of, um, you know, all the memorable fights that had happened at Madison Square Garden throughout history. Right. I mean, you and I were there for a Miguel Cotto fight, right. you know, and we saw, I mean, just walking the halls of MSG and seeing the history of boxing as it played there. Let's not forget it was two Puerto Ricans that put Madison Square Garden right back in the epicenter as oh, being yeah. the mecca of boxing. It was Tito Trinidad yeah. and Miguel Cotto that turned it into a must-visit venue for a fight. I'll tell you right now, Miguel Cotto versus Sergio Martinez, I've been to many great sporting events in my lifetime that I have uh, you know, talked about on the show before, some I have not talked about. There has been very few moments in, in sporting history from Major League Baseball playoff games, NFL playoff games, NHL playoff games, huge fights, whatever it is, I... There, there's only been two or three, maybe I can count it on one hand, uh, atmospheres that I've been involved in and attended that had the peak decibel, just loudness, oh, yeah. the sound, the explosiveness of when Miguel Cotto dropped Sergio Martinez the first and second time in that fight. Yeah. That fucking, you were right next to me, my yeah. friend. That place erupted. As, as a cloud of sadness hovered over me and i looked around at everybody in the arena that place went ape shit oh my god it was unbelievable unfucking believable and uh you're right i mean there miguel cotto has done one thing in his career and he has serviced the sport of boxing is about about as good as you can for any fighter and you know i'm not going to give him shit yeah yes is he taking an easy fight that i don't really care about on his way out no but the fucking guys earned it man he yeah. has. Yeah, I think I think though, like really the hard part for the diehard Miguel Cotto fans. I would call myself a fan of Miguel Cotto. I wouldn't call myself a diehard Miguel Cotto fan. Right. I think the hard part for them to stomach is that, 
you know, he has turned into such a fucking diva. And he has made his money. Well, he made $50 million off of off of Rock Nation. A diva and a fruit fucking bat, too. That dude is fruity as hell, Ken. Nah, come on, Ben. He just supports uh, bre- breast cancer research 12 months a year. The guy, last picture I saw, he had fucking unicorn slippers. And he's holding a stuffed animal, for Christ's sake. <laughs> he is a Fruit Loop. He is, man. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. He is definitely a Fruit Loop. And you know what? His little uh, you know ride off into the sunset has lasted a little bit longer and uh, than than most people wanted, and it's probably been a little less deserved than say those of uh, Manny Pacquiao or Floyd Mayweather. Right. But you know, hey, look, if 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 Manny and Floyd over the last you know fifteen years of boxing have been one A and one B, Miguel Cotto's been two A. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. he's been right there behind those guys. Yes, he has. He just figured out a faster way to get the freebies. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Miguel Cotto, Saddam Ali, December 2nd from New York. Um, one fight that was announced, I don't know if it was yesterday, I just noticed it on my uh, on my Instagram account, was a fight poster for December 9th for Orlando Salido versus Mickey Roman. Yeah. This is a little confusing for me because December 9th on ESPN, you're going to get Vasily Lomachenko. And, and yes, it is Vasily. Yes, Vasily. Did you hear? Yes. Yes. I, see, everybody said, Ken, you've been saying it wrong all along. No, I speak Ukrainian Russian. <laughs> right. You know? I do. Do you? No, not really. But Orlando Salido and Mickey Roman. Look, Salido, legendary. I think he actually sort of uh, pushed himself into, uh, I don't know, like a, you know, a do- like, like a Mickey Ward should deserves to be in the Hall of Fame right. sort of conversation. Right. A guy that probably doesn't deserve to be in the Hall no. of Fame, <laughs> but left your pants on the ground and uh, some crumpled up, you know, crunchy-ass paper towel rolls <laughs> sit- sitting right next to it along the way, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I guess that's one way to put it. Jesus Christ. But Orlando Salido headlining on HBO from Las Vegas against Mickey Roman. Okay, Tevin Farmer and Francisco Vargas are on the undercard. Right. Why are Orlando Salido and Francisco Vargas fighting in the main event? I don't think Vargas wants any part of that, man. I don't want any part of this because on December 9th, I'm going to be watching Lomachenko Rigo with 99.9% of the rest of the boxing population. Yeah, it does it does it's not. It's going to be a huge night on ESPN. Yeah, it does not make much sense. My guess is HBO figured that by the time Salido and Roman get in the ring that uh, Lomachenko and Rigo will be out of the ring and people will switch over and kind of the viewership will just slide in their direction because it's East Coast, West Coast. But you're right. It doesn't, you know, for the sport, it doesn't make much sense. I You, you would think you, you could find another spot for that fight because, dude, do I, you know, Salido Roman? Does it does it get the the juices flowing that well? No, but it's going to be a fucking bloodbath fight, guaranteed, no doubt about it. I mean, it it will be a more entertaining fight than Loma Rigo will you be. Think so? Yes. Oh, I uh, just Salido. I mean, I, look, I I guess he's eventually it's going to happen where he's not going to have the tank that we've seen for the last two years. Is he's, it Mickey Roman? I don't know if Ramon has enough form to, to be the one to push him over the ledge, but he's going to take him there. So what's the point of this then? Uh, Salido wins and they and they do a fight with uh, Francisco Vargas since he's on the undercard. Two washed-up fighters. Yeah, I, you know, I, I really, to me, at this point, it's like I don't even know if I want to see Vargas fight Salido again, if I want to see him in another tough fight. I'm not watching this card. You're not? No, I have no interest in this card whatsoever. I'm a huge Orlando Salido fan. But at this point in time, you built this legend late in your career, you know, fighting fight of the year candidates and whatever else. I don't care how good this fight against Mickey Roman is. There's no way Orlando Salido's at the level to produce another fight of the year candidate. And not that that has to be where the bar is for him. He doesn't right. need to approach that. But come on, man. You can't, like, all of a sudden at 37 years old, once your career has been reignited, saying, I'm going to be just, uh, you know, working on my house and I'll come and get these paychecks from Peter Nelson because every time I walk around, his fucking dick falls out of his pants. <laughs> hey, man, he's with Memo. He, he's ageless, Ken. He's oh, ageless. Well, if that's the case, then Orlando, if he's with Memo, Orlando Salido's dick definitely stays in his pants. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you know how those cocktails work. <laughs> All right. Um, the same day. Frank Warren presents 
James the Gale versus TBA. Ooh. And Lee Selby versus TBA. The best comment, the first comment when the fight poster came on that said, James the Gale, Lee Selby. <laughs> Somebody fucking tweets and says, I don't know who I like in this fight, but the Gale versus Selby is an awesome fucking fight. <laughs> I mean, what's I get it, Frank Warren. I I I feel like this is him, like like throwing it out there, like ah, look at me, I got two Eddie's, two Eddie's guys are mine now. Look at them, I'm gonna have them fight here. I got them. <laughs> Nobody, I mean, come on. If you're gonna put them in in fights that literally two fighters that have been totally inactive and kind of off the radar. You're going to put them in fights, and and you just said it earlier in the show, Frank Warren all of a sudden is becoming, you know, the rehab king of uh, UK boxing. Hey, guys that went went off to America or tried to, come back over here, and old, old Frankie will build you right back up. Give you some freebies. Yeah. WBO's on his side, I'll tell you that much. Awesome. <laughs> Can't wait for James the Gale versus Tibba and Lee Selby versus Tibba. What are the chances you have two guys against two different opponents with the same name? I've never seen it before. Mm. Tibba. <laughs> love it. You know what I love more, Ben? What's that, Ken? Just being back in the podcast studio. <laughs> Saddle up, partner. Yeah. Yeah, I think some people were hoping we retired, but guess what? Nah. Can't keep a good thing down. Nah, we're here to stay. <laughs> <laughs> we're like herpes, baby. Well, yeah, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Oh, look, they're, they were gone. Up, oh, no, he's back. Oh, shit. And it hurts. <laughs> and it hurts. We appreciate all you tuning in to episode 185 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Be sure to drop by theboxingrant.com today and subscribe to the Tale of the Tape on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at VinceCummings81 and at Kenny Keith Jr. We'll be back next week with the post-fight of Deontay Wilder versus Berman Stavern Part 2 and a preview of the return of Danny Jacobs, the Miracle Man, to HBO. But then we got to finish it strong. You know what I mean? Yes, we do. No more two-pump chump shit. Really? we got to bring it home. <laughs> so build up your endurance. You're in for the home stretch <laughs> of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.